You're listening to the Odyssey Out Loud. I'm Anna Katerina. Episode 21 The Trojan Horse. When the bard finished his song, Alcinous told Halion and Laudamas to dance on their own, since no one could compete with them. Then they picked up a beautiful purple ball, which warlike-wise Polybus had made for them. One of them leaned back and threw it towards the shadowy clouds. The other one, rising high over the earth, caught it again smoothly before his feet hit the ground. Then, after they'd had a go with the ball straight up in the air, they danced on the all-nourishing earth swapping places again and again, and the other boys, standing in the assembly, beat time, making a tremendous din. Then godlike Odysseus spoke to Alcinous. Lord Alcinous, most distinguished of all men, you said your dancers were the best and you've made good on your word. I'm in awe at the sight. That's what he said, and Alcinous rejoiced. But you know, that's not exactly right. In fact, I've left something out. Do you remember Telemachus and his sacred strength? There's a similar thing happening here. Alcinous rejoiced, or not really him, as much as the sacred power in him. Power, strength, will, whichever you like, stick it here. The Hieron Menos of Alcinous was pleased. We hear from that part of Alcinous a lot. Alcinous is usually speaking from that place, doing things from that place. In fact, it's come up before. He went on his way with sacred intent. He spoke with holy purpose. I couldn't tell you why. It doesn't always feel like it fits. I know, we're right in the middle of the mundane, but here, have some divinity for free. You could think about it like this. Like the divine right of kings. Like someone always speaking, acting, thinking from a position of godlike confidence. And right now, Alcinous, filled with sacred power, was glad to hear his dancers did well. And then Alcinous said to the oar-loving Phaecus, Listen up, you leaders and commanders of the Phaecus. Our guest seems to me to be very sensible, very spirited. So, let's give him guest gifts, as we should. We've got twelve very notable kings in the area governing as leaders, and I'm the thirteenth. Let's each bring him a freshly washed cloak and a tunic and a costly talent of gold. Let's get it all together quickly so the stranger can go to dinner happy with the gifts in hand. Yarialos must make amends to him with words as well as a gift, since he didn't speak at all appropriately. That's what he said. And they all agreed and gave the order, and each sent a herald to bring gifts. Then Yarialos said back to him in reply, Lord Alcinous, most distinguished of all men, I will make amends to the stranger then, like you ask. I'll give him this sword made entirely of bronze, with a silver handle and a sheath of fresh-cut ivory around it. It'll be worth a great deal to him. So saying, he put the silver-studded sword in Odysseus' hands and said to him, voicing winged words, I salute you, father stranger, and if in any way I said something terrible... May the storm winds snatch it up and carry it off right away. And may the gods grant that you see your wife and come to your fatherland since you've been away from your loved ones for a long time and your suffering. Inventive Odysseus answered and said back to him, And you, friend, I salute you as well. 
May the gods give you happiness, and may you never in the future miss this sword you've given me an apology. That's what he said, and he slung the silver-studded sword over his shoulder. The sun sank, and the fine gifts were there for him, and the noble heralds of Alkinous brought them in. Then the children of irreproachable Alkinous took them and set the gorgeous gifts next to their worthy mother. The sacred power of Alkinous led them, and they went and sat down in tall chairs, and then Alkinous spoke to Arete with authority. Come on, wife, bring out a large, impressive chest, our best one, and put a well-washed cloak and tunic in yourself. And warm a copper pot for him on the fire, and heat water so he can wash, and then he can see all the gifts which the irreproachable Faikis brought here laid out nicely, and enjoy the feast, listening to the words of the song. I'll give him a gorgeous golden cup, one of my own, so he'll remember me as long as he lives, whenever he pours a libation in his hall to Zeus and the other gods. That's what he said. Then Arete told the maids to set up a big tripod on the fire as quickly as possible. They set up the tripod for filling the bath over the burning fire and poured in water and lit firewood underneath. The fire spread around the belly of the tripod and heated the water. Meanwhile, Arete brought out a gorgeous chest for the stranger from her room and put in the beautiful gifts, clothing and gold which the Fayekes gave him. She herself put in a mantle and a beautiful tunic and said to him, voicing winged words, See to the lid yourself and quickly tie a knot on it in case someone breaks into it on your journey when you lie down in sweet sleep heading on your way aboard the black ship. Once divine, long-suffering Odysseus heard that, he at once put the lid on and quickly tied an intricate knot, which the lady Kirke had once taught him. Right then the housekeeper told him to step into the tub and bathe, and it made his heart happy to see the hot bath. He wasn't used to being taken care of at all since he'd left the home of fair-haired Calypso and up till then he'd been looked after reliably like a god. After the slave women washed him and rubbed him down with oil, they threw a tunic and a fine cloak around him, and he got out of the tub and joined the men drinking wine. Nausicaa, her beauty god-given, stood beside a pillar of the strongly made roof. She looked Odysseus in the eye, filled with admiration, and she said to him, voicing winged words, Farewell, stranger. Remember me sometime when you're in your fatherland, since I'm the first one you should thank for saving your life. Answering her, inventive Odysseus said, Nausicaa, daughter of great-hearted Alcinous, I hope loud-thundering Zeus, Hera's husband, makes it happen. I'd like to get home and see my homecoming day. Then, even there, I would pray to you, like a god, every day as long as I live. Because you, child, have given me life. That's what he said. Then he sat down in a chair next to the king, Alkinous. They'd already mixed the wine and were handing it out. A herald came up, leading the faithful bard, Demodocus, honored by the people. He sat him in the middle of the diners, leaning against a tall pillar. Then, cutting off a piece of meat from the back of the white-tusked boar, where there was more left with rich fat around it, inventive Odysseus said to the herald, Herald, give this meat to Demodocus, so he can eat and I can greet him, even though I'm grieving. Out of everyone on earth, singers ought to have a share of honor and regard, because the muse taught them poetry and loved the tribe of singers. That's what he said. And the herald brought the meat and put it in the hands of the hero Demodocus. He took it, and his heart was happy. And then they put their hands to the good things laid before them. 
Once they'd finished with their food and drink, then Inventive Odysseus said to Demodocus, Demodocus, above and beyond any other mortal, I applaud you. Either the muse, the daughter of Zeus, taught you herself or Apollo, since you sing the doom of the Achaeans exactly as it should be sung. Everything they did and went through, everything they endured, you tell it like you were there yourself, or heard it from someone else. I want you to skip that, though. Sing about the design of the wooden horse that Apeos built with Athena, the trap that divine Odysseus once brought to the Acropolis, filling it with the men who sacked Ilium. If you tell me the story right, I'll immediately tell all mankind how generously the god gave you unearthly song. That's what Odysseus said. And driven by the god, the singer began and brought the song forth, bringing it to light, if you want that kind of literal poetry. He picked it up as the Argives, boarding their well-bent ships, set their huts on fire and sailed away, while the others were already seated around famous Odysseus and the Trojan Agora, hiding inside the horse. The Trojans had dragged it to the high city, to the Acropolis themselves. So it stood. And sitting around it, the Trojans engaged in endless debate. There were three different plans in contention. Either they'd cut the hollow trunk in two with ruthless bronze, or drag the wooden horse to the summit and throw it down from the rocks, or let it stand as a glorious offering to charm the gods. And in the end, that's what they did, since it was their lot to be destroyed after the city took in the great wooden horse, the best of the Argives seated inside, bringing murder and doom for the Trojans. Demodocus sang how the sons of the Achaeans sacked the town, pouring from the horse and leaving the hollow trap. And he sang the sacking of the high city, place by place, and how Odysseus went, like Ares, to the house of Deiphobus, with god-vying Menelaus. The singer said that Odysseus took on the most terrible fighting there, and conquered even then through great-hearted Athena. Those are the things the far-famed bard sang. Then Odysseus melted, Tears fell from his eyes and soaked his cheeks. He cried the way that a woman cries, throwing herself on her dear husband who fell before his city and his people, defending the town and the children from a hard, ruthless day. Seeing him gasping and dying, she throws her arms around him, screaming, but the men behind her strike her back and shoulders with the shafts of their spears and lead her away to slavery, to sorrow and hard work and her cheeks waste away with pitiful pain. That's how Odysseus let pitiful tears fall from his eyes. You've been listening to The Odyssey Out Loud. I'm Anna Katerina. You can learn more and listen to new episodes at theodysseyoutloud.com. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash odysseyoutloud. Thank you for listening. <laughs>